1: and listen in to her warm Scottish tones, wise heart and wonderful sense of humour as she interviews guests and discusses what it means to be unashamedly human.
0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast. My name is Jackie Ford. I am a coach, mentor and trainer living in Scotland but working globally Now today I've got another special edition for you relating to a subject that is becoming more and more apparent in the news and I've brought on a really special guest today, a woman I admire greatly who has a story that you just honestly, you you just wouldn't believe this woman's story and when you see her now you would just be like, how the hell did she do that? What actually happened here? So my special guest today is a lady called Del Addy Jones. Many of you might know Del from her own successful podcast called Insightful Conversations with Del Addy Jones. Del is Welsh, so she's a Celtic cousin, um, and she resides in Los Angeles, where she is a coach and a mentor for others. She's talking about a particular topic Um that I'm actually going to ask you, Del, to talk about in a wee minute, because I think it's important that it comes from you. But first of all, Del, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I love our conversation. So
1: thank you. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you for having me. I know we've been talking about this for quite a while, but it's, I think it's really timely. Um, like you said, I'm, um, I specialize in um, working with people. I, I work with a lot of different people, but, but it feels like my whole practice right now is around um, a subject that is very close to my heart, as you mentioned, my story, and that is codependency. And, um, and also, you know, if you find yourself in a narcissistically abusive relationship, So do you want me to give you a little bit of my history? Oh please,
0: Del. I think you know and you know, again I'm gonna say to you, you know, Del's going to go into the content of her story, you know, Mm. and and it's lovely for the listeners to hear the content of that story. And I also think it's important as coaches that we listen to other people's stories, the content of their stories and we don't dismiss them. So yeah, Del, please, please.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. I I totally agree. Mm. Um I love I love hearing. I think that's how we connect with each other: is when we tell our stories. Yeah. As long as we know their stories. <laughs> so, anyway, so my story um, goes back. I'm 61 now, so um, I basically um, spent 30 about 30 years in therapy um, trying to fix myself. Um, I was diagnosed as codependent, and I'm uh, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, it was when I came across the principles um, that I can honestly say that I went from sort of barely functioning at all when I first went into therapy to functioning pretty well, to then functioning incredibly well. Mm. So I'll go back a bit and give you a little background as to what led to my my issues with codependency and post-market stress. So as you said, I was, I grew up in North Wales. Um, I, uh, am one of seven children. Um, I am number five and, um, I was actually, um, the product of an affair that my mother had with my father. They had an eight year affair and they had three children, which is the sister that's just above me and the brother that's just below me. And, um, I know it sounds funny to say, but I never met my father. Yeah. And the reason for that was that um, my mother, having to raise children alone without a father, needed to make money. So she converted our little Welsh cottage into a, um, a home for mentally ill people. And we all slept in separate caravans in the backyard. This is in the middle of the countryside, so it wasn't in the city. And... Um, So my father would visit once a week and be with my mother in her caravan. And we were all, it was late at night, we were already asleep. And um, so we never ever got to see him. And when I was about four years old, I knew I missed him. I knew I knew about this sort of character that was sort of elusive. and And I missed the thought of not seeing him or meeting him, but I didn't really realize how unusual our upbringing was until I went to the local primary school when I was about five. But prior to that, a year before that, when my mother was pregnant with my younger brother, um, my father's wife paid us a visit. And she was, you know, understandably, incredibly upset and distressed. And I remember being home alone with my mother at that time, and I remember thinking, oh my God, what have we done to hurt this woman? It was so clear that, you know, I, I wasn't making sense of the words back then, but I could just tell from the energy that she was really distressed and we were to blame. So I think it was in that moment that I remember feeling, oh my God, I should never have been born. Some, me just even existing has apparently really upset this woman. Yes. So, um, but when I went to the primary school at five, I realized that um, everybody knew our situation um, the teachers, the people in the village, I was, I was thinking about those twitching lace curtains. I always felt like <laughs> looked at and judged and, um, and it was true. I mean, we were called terrible names by the children and um, and, uh, and the teachers even. So again, at that time, I just felt incredible amounts of shame and feeling responsible for hurting other people and at the same time too I would pass my father on the way to this little village school we'd get the bus and um, we would pass he had a garage I'd pass him and he never ever looked at me or paid attention to my sister never paid attention to us would literally avert his gaze and I kept thinking oh my god I'm not good enough if I was good enough he would want to you know claim me as his daughter and whatever whatever (laughs) So I had a whole list of what I wasn't good enough at. I wasn't pretty enough, clever enough, I don't know, talented enough, skinny enough. I mean, the every enough suit you can think of that I wasn't. And I, and I think that's just a natural defense that children have. They feel that if they're to blame, then they can fix the situation. They just need to work on themselves. They just need to change something about themselves. And then there's the possibility of a, of a positive outcome. And so that I think sets you up for that pattern. So um, what I realize now is, as I said, I, you know, fast forward, um, we moved from our tiny little home into a giant, great, rambling old stately home mansion. And my mother filled it with about 55 plus mentally ill people and mentally handicapped. And um, she had a funny sort of, way of she would say they're all our family they're all our extended family and so therefore we were all dotted around the mansion there was no sort of nuclear family unit we mm-hmm. i just lived on one wing of the house with all these mentally ill people around me and we didn't have locks on our doors and so you can imagine there was a lot of craziness yeah so i grew up hypervigilant, which again yes. is, a, is a sign of codependency so the signs are sort of lack of self-worth hyper vigilant feeling responsible for other people's feelings um you know a few of those things so by the time basically i was 19 i was not functioning very well in, in life i was attracted to unavailable narcissistic men <laughs> repeating the pattern of my childhood um, and i just hit a point where i thought god this is just too hard i'm not equipped to deal with this world but again, you know, it was something wrong with me. Not that the world was bad, it was something lacking in me that I couldn't handle it. So then I found myself in California, um, coming on holiday and literally never went back. And California in the 80s was all about sort of um, workshops and self-improvement. And I jumped on that bandwagon <laughs> very quickly. Um, my first workshop was healing the shame that binds. I was like, that one speaks to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, by the time I was 29, I got into therapy and realized that a lot of the chaos I was living in was, was due to my thinking, but I, they didn't explain it that way. You know, so it was really, um, I was, as I said, I was diagnosed as codependent. Um, often people that grew up in dysfunctional, abusive families where there's abandonment or any type of sexual abuse which also happened um, can lead to this basically a defense mechanism a coping mechanism so that's pretty much my story as I said 30 years of therapy um, helped me understand but it didn't I couldn't find the freedom from it I was still acting out in codependent ways and it was the principles that totally absolutely opened up Holy well to me so I'm incredibly grateful to that
0: <laughs> okay god we all are Dale you know and, and and in particular what I love about your story is that you knew there was another way mm-hmm. and so you kept searching and searching you knew that the reality you were living in wasn't the reality that you knew you were meant to be living in Mm-hmm. And I just think that that 's phenomenal sort of to keep looking to keep looking to keep looking, and a lot of people do that, but we yeah. don 't give ourselves credit for that because that 's wisdom, constantly yeah. you know making you go forward and there 's something I want to say Del. Mm-hmm. you fought against talking about this for a long time in this community, yeah I, about codependency, yes
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely not my I share my story but um, yeah, I had, I had these, I, well, to go back a little bit after my 30 years of therapy, um, my first therapist died. He was, he was an incredible man. He was a father figure to me. And then the second therapist I had was, um, was like a big brother to me. He was just mm-hmm. a little bit older than me. He, oh my God, he was so amazing. His name was Alan Luddington. if he ever <laughs> hears this. Um, and, um, What happened was, um, he used to say to me, Oh my God, you're an expert in codependency and narcissistic abuse, or understanding it, or understanding narcissism. And he would actually um, encourage me to work with other people that were suffering from this. And so I started when I was a coach prior to the principles, I would work with people around Mm -hmm. this issue. And when I first came across the principles, I had this misunderstanding. Because I'd heard the term, you know, there's no um, personality disorder, um, there's no diagnosis. And so I thought, oh, oh gosh, I can't talk about this anymore. So, um, and it was a misunderstanding. And actually, I think you had a pivotal role in getting me back into speaking about this. Um, I think you recommended um, me to another three principles practitioner who was struggling in her relationship. Um, couldn't quite um, wasn't sure if she was in, in a narcissistic relationship or not, which is uh, a classic scientist. Yeah. I knew she was. <laughs> I just thought, Speak to Dell. Yes. <laughs> so, so we had an amazing call, and just a couple of calls. She had these like light bulb moments of, oh my God, you know. Um and so I was like, "Wait a minute! I mean, this is somebody again in our in our three principles community that gained incredible, you know, sort of insight just from a couple of conversations about this subject." I thought, "How many other people out there yeah, could I help yeah, and share this with?" And it seems like since then, it's just the floodgates have opened. I mean, I'm getting people coming to me for this issue and part of being in a narcissistically abusive relationship is you feel like you're going crazy. So as much as we have this understanding, you know, you feel like you're going crazy and it's, it's, it's such a fine line between going, it's just my thinking, but this feels abusive. Yeah. And because it's not physical abuse because we don't have the bruises and the black eyes and whatever to, to say, this is abuse. It's more subtle. It's a subtle type of abuse. It's emotional abuse and psychological abuse. So we, we can doubt it and we can go to this sort of, it's just my thinking. I'm taking it personally. I, I, I don't need to. And, and, and then we tolerate situations that are actually, you know, not in alignment with how we want to live. Oh, Dale, I want you to speak
0: more about that. What I've seen over the years, Del, is... That you often get a situation where someone who is, you know, and we're using labels here, okay. Yeah. Or we're pointing to behaviors which are a result of yes. thought and action. Okay. Just, just putting that out there. But I I found over the years that many of the women that I've worked with who are in that kind of situation, they're very empathic, they're very loving. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, and you can you can correct this, but I what I've seen is you tend to find that narcissists love empathic, empathic people, people they can feed off of. And do-
1: yeah, well, 100%. And I mean, they say the perfect sort of match is, mm-hmm. and again, I'll say the same thing. We're talking about behavior, so I'm not going to keep saying narcissistic behavior. Mm-hmm. We'll just say the narcissist and the codependent, but we understand it's pointing to a behavior in time. It's not, a, it's not an indictment of who the person is. Just how they're behaving in the moment. So um, yes, absolutely. You know, a narcissist is somebody that is very self-obsessed, um, lacks empathy, it's all about them. Um, they need constant adoration and attention. Um, they see themselves as superior and um, sort of um, the rules don't apply to them. They they need this, they, they call it narcissistic feed they need to, they need constantly to be feeding. And it's an unhealthy, you know, I mean, again, it's a label, but I'm going to use it for right now. <laughs> but there is, but there's thinking on their on, from the narcissist, that is actually, um, it's painful. It doesn't lead to having, you know, um, healthy, loving, reciprocal relationships. It's, it's, uh, it's based out of fear, fear of not It's fear of being seen for who they really are inside, which they believe is damaged, which is not true. We all know that we're totally healthy and whole on the inside. But they sometimes have this very deep sense that there's something terribly wrong with them. So they have built up this front, this, you know, I'm better, I'm superior, I'm above the law, I'm whatever, whatever, whatever. And then on the other hand, um, so that's an unhealthy behavior, okay? And then on the other hand, the codependent or the empath, however you want to look at it, has crossed the line into unhealthy thinking as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that they're loving and giving. They, they have weak boundaries. And they tend to focus on other people more than themselves. They become needless and wantless. They, they give to receive security. So they give more than they're comfortable giving, but they think it's going to buy them security of the relationship. If I'm needed, then I'm safe, you know, they'll keep me around. Um, So it's two, basically two unhealthy people, or unhealthy thinking coming together. And it is the perfect fit. If you look at it, it's like the narcissist wants attention, me, 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 me. And you've got the codependent who's like all about giving. I'm needless and wantless. I can keep giving to you. So it is the perfect hookup, you know, that's what happens. But then there's, you know, there's the fallout from that. Often the narcissist needs to have a partner that they think is equally superior and and successful and and all of this stuff. And in the beginning of the relationship, they don't see you as they just think, oh, I'm getting all my knees met. But they have they projected on you that you're on this pedestal and you're equal to them. You're equally special. But then when they see that you actually have low self-esteem, they become really, they hate that and they will pull you off that pedestal and they'll start to sort of um, emotionally and and psychologically beat you up for not being the perfect partner, the perfect mirror to their perfection. So there's this, so you've been put on a pedestal, which is very seductive for a codependent, all of a sudden they're being loved and admired and seen and heard, so they feel. Mm-hmm. But then they get they get pulled off that pedestal and they're devastated. And and unfortunately, and then a codependent, I mean a narcissist rather will, will keep repeating that pattern. They'll, when they see that you're really broken, then they might lose you. They put you back on the pedestal to only tear you off again. And that's that re, you know, reinforcement, that intermittent reinforcement that of I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. And that's where the crazy making comes in. You know, with the codependent, they just feel like, oh, oh, you know, what's happening? So that's just part of that dynamic. So they're both seeing each other
0: through a filter of thought.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: And the stories that they have about one another. Mm-hmm. Dell, given what's happening in the world right now, you know lots of countries are in lockdown people are self-isolating or you know there's physical distancing or social distancing whatever you want to call it there's the potential for domestic abuse to be increased and it is actually happening all over the world yeah now you just said earlier on that that abuse isn't always physical it can be emotional as well Mm -hmm. and I wondered if you could talk to that just in case there's anybody listening who is maybe hearing something about oh I feel like that with my partner and I feel as though I'm going a bit crazy and he kind of gaslights me so I just know there's something you can say here Dale to help people
1: yeah absolutely I mean you know I have clients right now that obviously are going through that and and um it really, you know, I know that you can't, you know, because you can't physically distance yourself from that situation, but you can actually find a space within, mm-hmm. a space quiet within, and you know we don't normally sort of give um, advice, but but in this situation I'm going to because you know I think that we're we're in unusual times, and but if your partner is you know sort of either as you said gaslighting or you feel like you're on eggshells around them it really is a time to sort of give each other a wide berth or certainly if you're the codependent that's living with a narcissist who's starting to become aggressive and blaming and attacking it's really about protecting yourself don't engage back don't defend yourself just completely understand that they are in a a crazy thought storm of their own right now it has no bearing on you it has nothing to do with you you don't need to defend yourself verbally or fix them from what they're thinking you just let them have whatever experience they're having knowing that um they do actually have their own innate well being within them that they will settle mm-hmm. the big thing is to not engage because it's just it becomes you know Tensions rise, people become reactive, and it's just going to be um, unbearable. So it's really finding... Sorry, wait. So, no, no, that.
0: Dale. I was just yeah. going to say, well, how practical is that? And, and how can you do that? How can you not engage?
1: Because you understand that, um, well, first of all, if it's, if it's verbal, I, I mean, physical is a different matter, and mm-hmm. I can't... Talk, Absolutely. We're not talking to that. Today. Yeah, we're not talking about physical... But talking about the emotional, when you understand that about separate realities, when you understand that your partner, whatever he's saying in the moment, I, it's often a man, I, I hate to be sexist about it, but we'll talk, in this situation, we'll talk about a man. If he's starting to hurl abuse and blame you and accuse you of certain things, it's, you know, to basically, whether you say, you know, I understand how you feel, Or whatever you need to do to just not ramp up the tensions and the aggression. Um, Know inside that doesn't matter what they say; it has no bearing on you. That that you you know that you are not all the things you've been accused of doing or being or saying the wrong way or whatever it is. Just to know that maybe it's going to go and take a bath or a shower or or have a little place in the bedroom where you have a little sort of altar and you just feel like you can recenter yourself. But it's really about not taking things personally. I used to take everything personally. I used to think everything that my, you know, I'll just, I'll I'll lump it all together because I've been in in and out of a few um, narcissistic relationships, I'm not talking about one specific. But if a partner used to say something about me, um, I used to believe it, I used to take it personally. Now I know that, well, number one, thank God, I'm not in a a narcissistic relationship. I'm in a wonderful, healthy relationship. But but now I look back at some of the things that were said to me and I think, oh my God, they were just believing their thinking in the moment. It really had no bearing on me. Mm. Um, The other thing is, I want to use a little example, you know, like if you're walking down a road... And off on some side street, you hear some crazy person hurling abuse and screaming and calling you a bitch, whatever it is. You don't go, you don't go down that road and go up to this crazy person and say, you know, how dare you? How dare you call me these names? You mm-hmm. just think, hmm, there's a crazy person down that road. I'm gonna keep walking in the direction I was going. And it's the same thing. And I know people in a relationship feel like, we're close and I want that loving relationship back I want that connection when somebody is acting like a crazy person don't try and connect with them don't inflame them by arguing with them but at the same time you can simply say I understand how you feel that's a neutral because because when we have this understanding and we understand separate realities we do understand how they can feel the way they feel Mm as we know they're feeling their thinking so it's not validating what they're saying but it's not inflaming it or engaging in it it's called a narcissistic dance when you when you start defending yourself because as soon as you defend yourself with a narcissist they've they've got you and they will spin you around and it's the same with um i've completely lost my train of thought i was going to say something else but it'll come back to me so
0: um, so yeah yeah i i often say dale that's like um it's like a fire when you want a fire to get bigger you th- you put logs on it you put coal on it you know you, you put gasoline on it whatever you want to do to make a fire really go but when you want a fire to go out you don't feed it you don't give it anything you leave it to mm. to settle and and what you're saying is i mean even in a sort of a, an, a our normal you know relationships where we're not putting you know a label of 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 behavior on it you know I find even with with my daughters or with my husband there comes a a, a tension point there's a point where there's tension and you know it's better to walk away Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. attack or fight or try to be right or try to get the other person to hear you because Mm -hmm. I always think of what Bill Pettit says you know sort of Two people in a low state of mind. Nobody hears anything. Absolutely. You know, and you know, if that's the case and you're the person in the lower state of mind, it's like keep your hands in your
1: pockets and keep your mouth shut. Because mm-hmm. yeah. nobody's the other thing, Yeah, the other thing that I've remembered what I was going to point to is, is that, you know, part of the you know, dysfunctional thinking in a narcissist is that they, they very easily wounded. So when you we call it pouncing a narcissist, which is basically like um, exposing them, um, that is that is like poking the tiger. Mm. So if this is not the time to point out to your partner how how you know um, you know whatever you think of them. D- just don't. It is you will get such rage coming back at you. So you you're entitled to have your feelings. You're entitled to to your you know separate reality. But um, just know that there are certain things that, as you say, will stoke the fire mm-hmm. and make the situation worse. So it's about maintaining healthy boundaries. You don't have to sit there and take abuse. You can, you can, like I said, find a bathroom, have a bath, whatever it is, or a shower, just just, or a quiet moment in your bedroom. And just nurture yourself. Reconnect with who we know we are, our essence, which is, you know, perfectly healthy, whole, loving, peaceful, Um and that any of that noise coming from the outside is just noise. It's just noise. Mm-hmm. A distressed person in noise. But, um, but again, like I said, just allow them to, to settle themselves without you trying to fix them or, or inflaming the situation.
0: Yeah. It's like like we said, uh, the, the situation we're in isn't normal. So, mm-hmm. so people are trying to navigate this not normal state you know, and there may be money troubles, there may be, oh, you know, yeah. all sorts of other issues that people are going through. So that, that temper may flare more, mm-hmm. more often than it has, or, you know, has for a while, or it may be a new thing for people finding mm-hmm. that their partner is in this lowered state of mind is it has anxious thinking about whatever is going on and doesn't have the maturity of the understanding to know that they're just in a thought storm and that that will pass. And then they'll have some kind of clarity. Often what you find, um, and I'm sure you'll validate this, is a lot of people, when they feel like that, they're looking to self-soothe. They're looking for a different feeling. And a narcissist, to get that different feeling, will attack someone else verbally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally. It's, it's again, exactly like you said, it's, it can be, it can be a, you know, projecting out onto the other person, you know, all their rage and upset and hurt Mm -hmm. feelings, angst. And as you said, you know, even in the best of relationships right now, and I have a wonderful relationship and three weeks ago I was basket case was not a nice person to be around for, you know, a few hours. Um, but, um, you know, because I had this sort of financial situation that, that didn't go so well. Many people in the country are going through. Um, but I saw my own anxiety go up. And then it was like that wake up moment of, oh my God, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm getting into the future. And, you know, right now in this moment, I'm perfectly fine and healthy and whole. And, you know, so I, I just, Came right back to center and came into that peaceful moment, which is, you know, all we have. Um, but yes, you're right. Heightened emotions, heightened reactivity, um, feeling trapped, going into the future of, oh my God, how long this is this going to happen? How long, rather, is this going to go on for? I'm trapped in this house with this person that I feel is my abuser. Um, again, just, you know, it's that back to center, back to right now, where we're one foot in front of the other take care of yourself, nurture yourself, um, do whatever you have to do to sort of um, bring yourself back into that, as you said, that higher state of, of, of well-being. Mm-hmm. And again, if you don't force it, you don't, it, it will naturally happen. You will bounce back there when you, when you trust that, you know, everything that we have, resilience, and when you sort of get out of that, that reactive thought storm that you might be in too.
0: you said something earlier Dale, which I think is incredibly important and it's you said that sometimes people can feel as though they're going off their heads Mm. they feel as though they're going a wee bit crazy because what their partner is saying is confusing them and instead of recognising that feeling as truth that their partner is confusing them, what they do is they second guess Mm -hmm. can you speak a wee bit more to that because we're trying to point people back to if you're feeling it it's happening no exactly Mm -hmm. and
1: and it and it is and it's also differentiating how much it really is it's it's trusting your feelings but also knowing um like for myself, I'll just talk about myself. Sure, I sure. know that I could, um, I used to feel in incredible amounts of pain. Um, there was a lot of gaslighting going on in my relationships, uh, walking on eggshells, attacks coming out of the blue. I used to feel that I was on this little path of, oh, we're all walking together, happy, holding hands. And all of a sudden there'd be like, you know, a metaphysical punch to the side of the head. Mm-hmm. Somewhere I had said something that had triggered. And it would turn on a dime. And all of a sudden, there was this unbelievable blow-up. And I'd be thinking, what happened? <laughs> what happened? You know. And then it would be, well, you did this, and you did this, and you said that. And I'd be like, you know, and I felt... I, I I could never trust that this wasn't going to happen again. It happened so repeatedly. It was always like, when's the sugar going to drop? So I was on hyper-vigilant alert. Um, but I was so insecure that I... I took on all the stuff that was being said about me, all the things where I was, you know, lacking or everything, all of the stuff. Um, but I just started feeling crazy because something, like I would see something and it was, to me, I'd see a situation and it was very clear what I saw. Mm-hmm. Then the partner would say, no, you never saw that. That didn't happen. I never said that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something wrong with you. You make stuff up. You're, you're, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh my God, am I crazy? Did did I? You know what? what, And you just end up because it's so subtle. It's it is abuse. It's abuse, and you end up doubting yourself. You doubt everything. You doubt what you're feeling, and and that doubt can have actually started as far back as childhood. You know, it certainly happened with me in you know, my mother used to say to to me all the time, well, your father loves you. He just can't be with you. Now that was crazy making to me because in my head, it was like, well, if you love somebody, aren't you supposed to be with them? Don't you want to be with them? And so it was like, and and so many other instances where I'd feel, you know, in danger with the mental people and my mother would say, no, you're fine, you're fine. Or that didn't happen. Mm. And so I had a, I had a, this lifelong habit of not trusting myself, so it's very easy for me, yeah, to lose grip on reality
0: mm-hmm. and not
1: trust my feelings. So, um, to answer your question, it was well. I'm going to wait. I hope I'm answering your question. You are
0: a good. I'm going
1: off somewhere here, but yeah, just notice if you've had a habit of doubting yourself. And as you said, Jackie, if it, if if somebody is clearly, if you set a healthy boundary, and somebody keeps pushing on that boundary and moving the line, and you feel um, unsafe or or abused or or um, ignored or, or whatever those things are, trust that. Mm. Trust that. There's nothing wrong with you. If you know. If you've set a healthy boundary and it's not being respected, then that's, you know, or if some, if you're with somebody that your needs don't matter, it's all about their needs and you feel abused and taken advantage of, I mean, we can feed that thinking, we can make it into a bigger thought storm, but just trust, you know, hang on a minute, this feels like it's just going one way. Mm -hmm. It's all about them, not about each of us. Trust that. Yeah. But again, as I I you know I have people I'm working with right now that are I don't think right now is is the time to um get into future thinking of am I in a narcissistic relationship? How do I get out if I am? Take care of yourself right now. You know, we're in unusual times. Um It's called, you know, a lot of enmeshed relationships, narcissists and codependents become enmeshed. We feel each other very intensely. So what we're looking for is a healthy separation, a healthy, you know, um, individuation, as they call it. So we're actually sort of taking care of ourselves. We're nurturing ourselves, staying centered, staying healthy, not taking anything personally. And then, you know, as this thing moves on, That then is the opportunity to say, you know, what part have I contributed by my codependent behavior? Because really, sometimes just by sort of seeing what you're thinking, how that is, you know, making you behave in certain ways, by taking care of your side of the street and, and getting healthier yourself by reconnecting with who we are always at our center. So it's not about fixing ourselves, it's just about recognizing unhealthy thinking that is, you know, how do you sort of behave in a certain way? And when we recognize that often, that that, that reconnecting to who we are at essence, the strength that comes from that can actually change the dynamic of a relationship. That can happen. They used to say that narcissists can never change. And I always say, anybody can change if you, if you want to. And if you're okay. willing to look at Thought patterns that might not be healthy or contributing to a healthy relationship. So, you know, again, if you become healthier as a codependent, your partner may become healthier too. And you can have a really great relationship that's reciprocal. And, but now's not the time to make those determinations, I don't think. It's about self care, doing what you can to nurture and protect yourself during these challenging times. Oh, Dale, I love that. I love that. <laughs>
0: I do I love that I love how you you speak about that you sort of with such knowledge and love and confidence it's great to hear you focusing in on this I, I it's incredibly important you know what Dale has just said there now is not the time to create any more drama this is the time for you to Understand yourself, strengthen yourself. Get in touch with Dell if there's something that you feel you know you want to explore with her about how you actually work as a human being, to find out that gorgeous intersection between your psychological and spiritual nature that helps you navigate life with a gentleness for yourself which eventually becomes a gentleness for all of humanity but I've got something here that I just wanted to share Dell. and this has been doing the rounds in Facebook and I don't know whether it's a worldwide thing or whether it's just a thing that's happening in the UK and this is just a message for women out there whether you're suffering from domestic abuse uh, which is physical or is 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 verbal and it says here if you're stuck in isolation with someone abusive Message a friend asking them if they're still selling their makeup. I'll know to keep checking in. Mm. Ask specifically about my eyeliner and I'll contact the authorities for you. I'll also ask for your address for the package to be delivered to. So it's a beautiful, um, vague way of saying, I need help.
1: So again,
0: if you're stuck in isolation with someone abusive message someone and just say are you still selling your makeup and then that person will keep checking in with you Mm -hmm. if you ask specifically about eyeliner they will contact the authorities for you but they'll also ask you for your address for the package to be delivered to which means help is on its way dale thank you so much for being a guest on the unashamedly human podcast you are a gem and um, all of Dale's details will be there for you to get in touch with del and she is actually sort of running a program at the moment which i think a lot of people would find incredibly useful and i will put that in the the content of the the podcast lots of love to you del stay safe
1: and you too it was wonderful thank you so much You're right. you could be larger than life bigger than